As you can tell, we're doing things a little different today. The uh, gospel uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ will be read at the end of the service rather than where we normally read it at this point. Uh, but let me, uh, let me bring to you uh, some words uh, from the Lord and uh, words that will edify us. So would you pray with me, please? Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, Father, we not only proclaim Him our King, but we make Him our King. We not only remember His triumphal entry, but Father, we decide to follow Him wherever He leads us. We acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that You are the Lord, Savior, and Master of us all of the entire human race and of all who believe in you, there is hope, there is joy, and there is the assurance, my Father, of eternal life. My Father God, in the name of Jesus, be glorified this day. Be glorified this day, I beg you, in the name of the Lord. I say, Hosanna, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you would look with me uh, at the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus in Matthew 21, and if you would open your Bibles, please, those of you that brought your Bibles, there's Bibles probably in front of you, but there's also the insert that was put in your bulletins, and you can, uh, actually the ones in your bulletin do not have the reading from uh, that we did outside, and that's where I'll be teaching from. So you will need your Bibles. And thank you to those who that, that bring your Bibles. Uh, and those of you that don't... Oh, it's there in the bulletin. Thank you. It's in the bulletin. You may go to the bulletin and, and not the insert. But I'd rather you bring your Bibles. <laughs> I'd rather you bring your Bibles. I want to see the people of God with the... Uh, with the sword of the Spirit in their hands, not at home, collecting dust. Uh, actually, I want to see Bibles pretty roughed up from usage. And not new looking, like you haven't turned the pages. Highlighted too, too. alright. Uh, this morning... Uh, we celebrate and, uh, and of course, have celebrated and remember uh, Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. That's what this day is all about. That's why the color is red uh, today in our church. Also, remembering that today is, is Passion Sunday as well. Okay? Um, so, today is Palm Sunday. And it is called Palm Sunday, as you can easily tell. It is called Palm Sunday uh, because of the palm branches that people gathered in uh, as they were approaching and following Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, palm branches that were probably, some of them may have been on the floor, falling from the palm trees. Uh, there may have been people not carrying palm branches, but rather branches of any tree they found on the road. They just ripped it off of the tree, and they were using it. They were caught up in the moment and caught up in the emotion. They're coming from Jericho. Jesus enters Judea 
through the east, through Jericho. And they come to the city of Bethany. And in Bethany, he goes and visits Lazarus and Martha and, and Mary. And of course, last week I preached on the resurrection of Lazarus. And, and if you can picture with me, because I think it's important. As you uh, come from Jericho, okay, as you come from Jericho, you're going uphill. You're going uphill, and you're going to come to Bethany, and you keep going uphill, uh, because that is what we call the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. There's the, the, uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. There is the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended eventually to the heavens. And what you have to picture in your mind, that is, as you are going up, at the top of the Mount of Olives, you can look across and you can see on the other side, you can see uh, the Mount of Zion. Okay, you can see the temple. And if it's in the morning and the sun is rising from the east and that sun hits the beauty of that temple, you can tell why the Jews were so proud of their temple. That sun hitting the golden doors and the marble pillars and all the beauty of the temple, it shone like, like majesty. As you come up the Mount of Olives and you look across, you have to come down to what is known the Valley of Kidron. And there's a river that goes by or a stream that goes by. And then there is ascending to the Mount of the Temple, the Temple Mount. And that's why many of the Psalms that we sometimes sing and sometimes read, there some of them are called Mount, uh, Psalms, Psalms of Ascension. Psalms of Ascension, which is the people of God ascending to the temple of God, to the presence of God, singing hymns, singing praises, remembering the majesty of God as they're coming up to the mount uh, where the temple is. And they're called Mount of Ascension because you have to ascend. So you you come uh, Mount of Olives down to the Kidron Valley and then ascending. As they're coming from Jericho, you have people coming from all over. Jews are coming because of the Feast of, of Passover. They're coming to celebrate. They're commanded that they need to come and be present in the temple at least three times a year. And this was one of those times that was imperative that they came. Okay? And they're caught up in this, in this moment with Jesus. And they're taking branches from all over. And they're waving the branches. And they're crying out, uh, Hosanna and singing psalms and, and coming up and they go through Bethany and they go and, and they probably some of them experience the resurrection of Lazarus. And then they go on through, uh, through the Garden of Gethsemane and down the Kidron Valley and up to the mountain of the Lord with branches and singing and, and, and some, some of those things. Uh, it is the day that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, riding uh, not on a white stallion like a conquering general, but, but uh, on a donkey. And the thing I want you to recognize is that Jesus is coming into his city as the Son of God. As the Son of God, this is his city. It is built for the glory of God, and it is His temple. Yet He's not recognized as the one to whom it all belongs. 
He's coming into his holy temple to his holy people. And he's not quite recognized. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was doing more than people realized. The disciples may have had glimpses from all the teachings they've received, from having been with Jesus, from Jesus perhaps revealing some things to them. They may have had an inkling of what this entrance was all about. After all, he's been announcing for a while that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified, but they actually don't quite get it. They keep wondering, what's he talking about? So they don't quite get it, but they may have inklings of what this is about. The crowd, the crowd are probably oblivious to the reality of what Jesus is doing. The crowds are coming to celebrate the past, not to look to the future. The crowds are coming because they need to celebrate this feast that is commanded to them. They're coming to remember that God had freed them. From the Egyptian slavery. That God had passed over. Over them. And punished the firstborn of the Egyptians. Which caused the Egyptians. The Pharaoh. To let his people go. And they're coming to remember. They're coming to remember. They're coming to celebrate. And I believe too. That many of them. May have even had some political. Political ideas. Because just like God had delivered them from Egyptian rule, they were hoping that one would come that would rid of, get rid of the Roman soldiers, the Roman usurpers. And so some of them may have had some political inklings of how to use this thing, this entrance. But I don't think they had any idea really They may have seen Jesus as a miracle worker. They may have seen Jesus as a teacher. They might have seen Jesus as a leader. And they're hoping he's going to be a political one. And some of them are caught up in that expression of politics and celebration. And crying out and waving palms. And crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Today what I want to do in this service, which I've never done before because I've preached on this more times than I can remember. But this is, this is a a new twist for me and, and, and for you. I, I want us to focus for a moment on the psychology of the mob. I want us not so much to look at Jesus and the meaning of what Jesus is doing, but to look at the crowd. And, and to look at the crowd and what creates a crowd. And to focus a little bit on that crowd because I think we're part of crowds too. And I think there's teaching here for all of us about the crowds. A crowd can be a family. You can be part of a family that is a crowd. And there are people in the family that will just follow the leader in that family. No matter where they lead, they will follow. And you you know families where there's a lot of gossip? The larger the family, sometimes the worse it is. Okay, I've been through it. 
And, and the reality is that a family can be a crowd. It can be a crowd. Um, a church can be a crowd. I mean, how many churches have we seen, for example, the guy that burned the Quran and all that congregation is with him about burning the Quran? What about that pastor? He just passed away recently. But what about that pastor that would have and lead his congregation to show up at every funeral of a soldier who gave his life for our freedom to insult the memory of that person with placards and, and with all kinds of things. And, and that congregation follows that person. I don't think there's reasoning. I think there's hate in the heart. But a crowd can be a church. A crowd can be a whole denomination. And we, can, we have seen our denomination, how we went array or awry. And, and how people just follow. They just follow. They don't look at Scripture. They just love the building so much that they'll just follow almost with blinders into what it is they're following. Or perhaps they don't want to know because they don't want to have to make a decision. It's easier to go with the crowd. A crowd can be a political party. That it doesn't matter what the party is doing, we still are part of that party. And we're still going to vote with that party, no matter what it does. A crowd can be a civic group of any kind. In fact, a crowd can be any multitude of people with a common agenda and a common ideology or purpose. It can be a crowd of five people and it can be a crowd of 50,000 people. And sometimes a crowd doesn't even have an agenda. A crowd sometimes forms just following the leader or leaders. Some crowds are for the good and for good causes. But a lot of the time, crowds are not so good and they're mostly reactionary. We have been witnesses not too long ago or within Within the last 20 years, we have been witnesses of crowds can do, what crowds can do. You all remember, I hope, the South Central riots in 1992, after the trial of the police officers that beat up Rodney King. You remember the crowds. You remember seeing it in the news. You re I remember, because my wife works in South Central, and I remember she was told not to go to work at SC, to wait until it was over. And we would be watching all day, watching what was happening everywhere. And let me tell you, those people were not bad people. They were caught up in a situation, in an anger, in a reaction to what they thought was injustice, and it turned into a, a deadly mob. And into breaking into stores and robbing. And it wasn't that they were bad people. There may have been some bad among them. But it was awful. 
when one person feels justified to go with the mob, and you have a mob mentality, and we all know some of what happened. But how many of you remember when the Lakers won the championship, or when the Kings won the championship, or when the Heat won the championship, and you can see in the news, these people with no care for others' properties, and they just go in the street to celebrate the championship, destroying all kinds of things in their way, jumping on cars, breaking windows, fighting with each other, all because of a crowd mob mentality. Not that they're bad people, they're fans that go crazy. The psychology of a mob... We can all remember from seeing in the news how crowds have toppled countries and governments. You remember the spring uprising in Egypt. People were killed on both sides for what they believed until the government of Egypt collapsed. We saw all of that. The crowd... Great people with an ideology, with a need for a freedom they were looking for. But my goodness, what happened? And how many people had to die for it? Then a government came, and that one wasn't any good either. So they went out into the streets again. And they're still trying to figure out what democracy will look like in Egypt. And you know what happens in the crowd? Not everyone knows why they're there. Have you ever been involved in a crowd that you really are not sold out for it? You're just going because somebody else is going? I've been there. I've done that. And the, 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 the reality is that we don't always are involved in righteousness to what we're doing, but we're just going because everybody else is going. And, and we all know what happened in Syria also. Same thing. And what's happening in Ukraine right now, those that are pro-Russia and those that are pro-Ukraine, and the clutches going on, the clutches going on among all of them. You know, I bet you that doesn't happen in North Korea. They get killed. Whoever says anything, and that's how we used to be in Cuba too. Cubans are tired of it, and some of it is occurring in Cuba. Just happened in Venezuela also. Think about the mentality of the crowd. Following the emotional moment. Following the cause. At any cost, the crowd, the crowd leads, the mob leads, and everything on its way just gets trampled. Including the justice sometimes that they're crying for. They themselves become unjust to the property of others and to the rights of others. 
And then consider the crowd that followed Jesus. The crowd that one moment receives Jesus all emotional. The picture of Messiah is here. Let's get behind him. Let's proclaim him king. Let's meet with him. Let's politically use him. And I bet you many of those crowd in the crowd just a few days later were the ones crying, crucify him, crucify him. Not bad people, but they get swayed. We get swayed by crowds. We get swayed by crowds and sometimes do things that are just not right. So many times a crowd doesn't think straight. It just reacts to the moment, to the situation, to the condition. Think about that. Jesus is coming in and they're crying, Hosanna, the son of David. The king of kings. Hosanna in the highest. Here's the messenger of God. Here's the representative of God. And that's a Sunday morning. And by Thursday they're already plotting. And by, by Thursday night into, into Friday they are saying, execute him, execute him. Execute him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus is entering Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows every detail of what he's doing. He knows the purpose. He knows the intentionality behind what he's doing. And the one thing he's doing is he's fulfilling the prophecies of God. He's fulfilling the word of the Lord. The word of God the Father. He is fulfilling it. He's bringing it to completion. Especially Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey are called the fall of a donkey. Jesus was one fulfilling, incomplete, unfulfilled scripture. He's being the answer, the completion, the reason behind that prophecy of Zechariah. Years before, over 500 years before Jesus. The second thing is Jesus is doing which I think to me is fantastic and amazing. He is not mincing words. He's clearly declaring himself Messiah. The people may not have caught on to everything he was doing, but he was declaring himself Messiah because of that prophecy. He's declaring himself the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is declaring it by the action of entering his city toward his temple, riding on a donkey, the anointed one of God. But he's also indicating that though he is the son of God, the completion of God's word, 
he still doesn't come in in a mighty, mighty horse. He comes in in the most humble of ways. The most humble of ways on a donkey. Riding on a donkey with no armor, no shield, no army. Other than this crowd, just riding on a donkey. And yet how intentional he was. Humble, humble to the core, and yet assertive, assertive to the Father's Word and the Father's purpose. But Jesus is doing something else that you may miss in a way. I think Jesus was also enraging the Jewish leaders. He was making the the rage of those leaders boil. And in doing that, he is causing their timetable to change to his timetable. Because the intention of the Jewish leaders was to deal with Jesus, not during Passover, but after Passover. When things had calmed down, they were going to come stilt and deal with him. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. You're going to deal with me on Good Friday, the same day that the lambs of God, the lambs dedicated are being sacrificed in the temple. I'm going to be sacrificed on the cross for the sins of the world. I am the Lamb of God. And it's my Father's timetable that is going to take place and not yours. And so he, by doing what he's doing, he's enraging these leaders that then have to do it when they can. And it's according to God's timetable and not their original timetable. The term Hosanna comes from Psalm 118. The term means save us, O God, or save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now, or save us, we pray comes from Psalm 118. And what they're singing is, is that political expectation that this might be the man that God has brought to finally save Israel. Save us from the Romans. Save us, O oh God. Save us. Save us now. You see, this crowd, and if you read Matthew, it tells us that Jesus gets sandwiched between two crowds. That there's the crowd that is coming with him, that is coming in as pilgrims toward the, the, the Passover feast. It's part of the crowd that saw the resurrection of Lazarus, that had come to mourn. You remember, I taught you on that last week. That crowd is just following him. They're all excited by what they saw. Then there's the crowd that's coming to the feast. And then there is the crowd that is coming from Jerusalem. Who hearing the commotion and hearing the news of Lazarus' resurrection. And Jesus, the Messiah, the teacher, the healer coming in. They're coming from both places to meet up with Jesus. And go with him into the city of Jerusalem. All taking whoever didn't have a branch, they would take their coat off and put it at, at, at his path that he may go over it. And the cry and the song, the, the singing of Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, the, the King of David, come, come, save us now. That's what this crowd is all about. 
And just in a few days, some of that crowd are just going to cry out, execute him, crucify him. Did they know, were they bad people? I don't think they were bad people. If they were bad people, Jesus would not have died for them. Or say from the cross, forgive them, Father. But the crowd, the crowd, when people get together and form a crowd, it just seems that sometimes our reason gets left out and emotion takes over. I want to talk to you a little bit about us and the crowd. How do we apply this? How do we learn this? I want to say to you that we need to seek godliness and not the sway of crowds. It can happen in a committee. It can happen in a church. It can happen anywhere. And what you and I need to be about is one crowd, the Trinity. That should be our crowd. We should seek godliness above all things and not the sway or the emotion or the conviction or the political aspirations of any crowd, we should always ask ourselves, what is it that my Father, who owns me, who has purchased me by the blood of His Son, what is it that my Father wants from me? Not the crowd. It doesn't matter whether it's a group of friends of five, or a crowd of 50,000, or 500,000. We need to ask ourselves at the end of the day when I give an account to my Father in heaven as to my behavior, my belief, my actions, will He be pleased with the actions I have taken? Am I a godly man or a godly woman? I mean, am I a person that is after God's pleasure and not the pleasures of this world, the reasoning of this world, or the aspirations of this world. You and I will be swayed by crowds, and we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this of God, or is this not of God? Godliness requires an individual conviction, an individual conviction that is right before God. Let me tell you, sometimes having a conviction that is not the crowd's conviction will require that you stand alone. Because it is better to be alone with God than with 500,000 without God. Having a godly conviction that rules your life Having a Lord that you want to please above all things may one day require that you stand alone. 
and sometimes may even require that you stand against the crowd. And that's where you can get crucified. Having a conviction that is godly in a world that is ungodly requires from you that you stand alone many times and even against the crowd. Because ultimately it's about the pleasure of your Father in heaven and not the sway of crowds. Crowds change from one moment to another depending on the, on the mood of things. God never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you have been to the movies lately? Has anyone gone to the movie and seen uh, God is not dead? One, two, three, four, five people, six people, seven people. I went with my wife on Friday to go see the movie God is not dead. I want to ask you all to go see that movie. I want you all to make the time to go see that movie so that you understand what it means to stand sometimes alone against a crowd and against those that oppose Christ and the gospel and to be willing to put everything on the line for Jesus Christ. I want you, please, I'm asking you as your pastor, I'm asking you before this month is over, go see this film. God is not dead. Go see that film and you will understand the psychology of the mob, of the crowd, of those that oppose the Lord, and what it means to stand alone and afraid, and yet stand because it's the right thing to stand for. When you don't know what to stand for, you will stand for all the wrong things. When you don't know and have a conviction to stand for what is godly, you'll end up standing for all kinds of wrong things. And crowds will sway you, even you believers will be swayed by crowds depending on, on, on the emotion that you get caught up in. And what you think you're accomplishing may not be what this crowd is all about. You have homework. <laughs> the crowd that you need to stand with is Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If it's not right with Jesus, it's not right with me. And it shouldn't be right with any one of us. Don't be swayed by crowds. Crowds change. Jesus never does. Amen. Stand with me.